Hi, I'm Margot Lee Williams, and I'm the author of Born Missionary, the Isley Walden Story, and you're listening to the From Paper to People podcast. And welcome to episode 405 of From Paper to People podcast from Ancestors Alive Genealogy. My name is Carolyn Neelachlan, and I am your hostess with the mostest for the next half hour or so. I want to start by thanking my new Patreon patron, Paula Crago, who joined at the Vines level, $7.50 per month. Thank you so much for that support, Paula. And Charles Andrews has increased his support to the branch level at $10 per month. Thank you so much for your support and your faith, Charles, and for all of your good conversation on Twitter. And Canadian history teacher also joined, and I really appreciate that as well. We had a May question on Patreon. The swag at stake was a pair of limited edition inlaid wood bookmarks bearing the podcast's name in antique script. Since there were only four responses out of 21 supporters, Sarah Crow, Margaret Eaves, and Kara Carey each got one, with the winning entry going to new patron Paula Crago. Thanks and congratulations, ladies. The monthly question is, yes, you guessed it, monthly, and it's on Patreon. The idea is to stimulate conversation on the platform and for supporters to have a chance to get a little something extra. Not everyone is on Facebook, so some listeners miss out on the discussions there. To be a part of the fun, become a supporter at patreon.com slash ancestors alive, and you'll have access to those monthly posts. Patron levels now start at $5 a month, and there's even a new rewards program for sustained support. This episode is all about having a genealogy blog, and to be sure I got you the best information possible, I sat down with Lisa Listen to have a discussion. After all, I don't really have a blog, and Lisa is at the top of the game. It took me a year to get this into editing, and I do apologize for that, but her advice is no less timely now than it was in 2020. She discusses everything, platforms, content, editing, publication to social media, and more. Here now is the interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Lisa Listen, and today we're going to talk about family history and genealogy blogs. Everybody welcome Lisa. Lisa, say hello to the people. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to being on your podcast. Great. This is very exciting for us both then. I'm, I'm really pleased. So give us a little background, Lisa, about uh, who you are and what it is that you do. I am the creator of the Are You My Cousin blog and website. And so my goal when I write on the blog is to help take the overwhelm out of the researcher's genealogy research, because it can be very overwhelming when you're just starting out with your genealogy research. And I think that's intimidating to some folks. And so I really want people, particularly as they're coming in, and even if they've been doing it for a long time, to be comfortable and to try new research techniques and just to learn the processes. That's great. It is really important, I think. There are a lot of podcasts out there that cater to 
a slightly highbrow taste, it seems to me, and a lot of people who teach at a high level. And that's great because I need that. Heaven knows, 40 years in and I need that. But one of the most important things that we have to do is we have to remember to keep it simple. And that's something that I, I think that you're really good at. So tell us about your blog. Sure, sure. So it is called Are You My Cousin? And it actually started out as just a family blog, a family history blog. It was a way for me to start sharing my family history with, and what I was finding with my relatives because everybody was emailing me and saying, what did you find out? Or I heard this and I couldn't keep up with who I told what to. And it was, you know, spending more time doing that than I was actually researching my ancestors. So I started the blog. And then I fell in love with the whole process of blogging. And I realized that more people were reading it than just my mother. So I thought, <laughs> okay, let's see what I can do with this. And it, it has progressed over the years. And so now the Are You My Cousin blog, it is um, really, I do pretty much how-to tutorials. It's how to use certain databases, how to, um, how to dissect a birth certificate to get everything you need out of it, how to analyze a, a cemetery. And then I also am a very frugal genealogist. So I'm always sharing ways to have free genealogy research, how to, you know, sites that are offering free things, um, free databases, those kinds of things, or just low cost, because it doesn't have to be always as expensive as people think it does. That's extremely valuable, because we're definitely living in a time where certain kinds of data is either completely unavailable because of the local government, uh, despite the fact that they should make it available, or certainly a lot of people can't afford or don't want to pay for memberships for things like Ancestry. And mm-hmm. so yeah, free resources are out there, but it is absolutely a question of having the key to the lock, mm-hmm. to open the lock. And that's a real valuable thing. So why do you think other people should start a genealogy blog? Oh, I would love to see all the researchers start a genealogy blog. And it doesn't have to do what I do, which is teach genealogy. It really to use it as a tool to connect with other family members, use it as a tool to share your research and share your ancestor stories. Because I'm always telling people, if we don't tell those stories and get them out there and preserve the stories and preserve what we find, nobody else is going to tell that ancestor story. And I think that's so important to have that out there. But it's also such a great way to connect with family that you may not have known existed to you. It could be down a different line. People will find you. People may have heard the term cousin bait. It is a good way to find, if you are writing about your research online, it is a good way for others to find you. And they may be researching as well. And they may be researching a collateral line. They may be researching your line for all you know. To give you an example, way back when, when my blog was just a family history blog. I don't mean just, but it was a family history focused blog for my family. And I had a bunch of photographs that I had inherited and I didn't know who these people were. So I, I posted a, a photograph up there and five months later, somebody answered and made a comment and said, that's my grandmother. Wow. And we made a connection and, and it's, it's, it's a long story, but fast forward a couple of years, I was able to connect to that entire side of the family. I was able to interview the matriarch of the family before she passed away. I was able to take my dad to a family reunion that he had not been to in 60 years. So it was an amazing, 
all because I had a family blog and I was sharing what I was writing. So not only was it helping my family kind of connect and learn their stories, but it helped me connect to another side of the family, as well as it really took my research in a whole different, you know, just completely opened up some of my research and broke down some brick walls, quite frankly, because they knew some of the answers and they had some of the records. So what kind of posts draw people? What is it that you're trying to put out there that brings people into the sphere of your blog? When you're doing just a family blog like that to share information, I think it's very helpful to write about your ancestor's story. And even if it's just kind of what you're struggling with in your research, I tended when I wrote to write what I already found. So I was kind of trying to tell the story of my ancestor, but I would also write about here's my struggle with this research project. And, you know, if anybody knows, or if anybody's also researching, you know, let me know, contact me. And so I would just constantly put that out there. But what I would always make sure I do, so if I'm writing a story or sharing information about my research, I try to include those surnames. And I might include various spellings because, as we know, the spelling, somebody might be searching, but it would be a different spelling. And I would always try to include a location so that if somebody was researching, say, Haley family of Halifax County, Virginia, then hopefully they would land on my my website. But if I'm just writing about the Haley's and I don't really talk about where they were living, then I'm less likely to get somebody's not going to recognize them as, hey, I think I'm researching those. You know, it's not always a fast process, but, you know, after a while, if you've written enough, people start to take notice. It is a great way to share that information. So a lot of times I would do that. The other thing I would share would be photographs. So anytime I came across a new photograph of an ancestor, I put that up there because that was something that my family could relate to. Mm. It was a way to connect to connect to them. It was a way to not only create connections between family members, but help family members individually connect to their family history. I think that one of the most valuable things about photographs or important things about photographs is that I have photographs that my cousins don't and vice versa. And in order to be able to fill in the blanks and to explain and understand what it was that was going on and why people were going in the places they were or not going any place at all. That sort of thing is explained in photographs. I found a photograph once about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, and I shrub my trees. So I get way, way, way out there in terms of cousins and things like that. I'm going way sideways. And I found a photograph of my great-grandmother when she was about 16, 18 years old with a woman and the woman's name was written on the back. And I remembered having shrubbed out on that side that they were some kind of cousin, but I wasn't really sure. And it turns out that this photograph was maybe taken in Texas and maybe taken in Oregon. And my great grandmother who really never traveled very much outside of the state of Texas apparently did in order to go see distant cousins. And what this did was it informed me about the tightness of that family, the Pace family, very clannish people, really, really tight people. And that even though they had to go, I would say, three generations back to find a common ancestor, those cousins were still in touch. That was really, really illuminating. Also, all of those cousins who descended from that cousin of my great-grandmother's who are in the Northwest, 
they could see that, you know, if I, if I blog about that, they could have access to that photograph. They might not have that photograph and they could see their ancestress as a young woman because she was also about 16 or 18 years old, somewhere in that range. And those kinds of things are so valuable. I just love finding photographs. They're so informative. They just let me know so many things. I just find them very juicy. So when you started blogging, what did you do in terms of the services that you looked at, the various platforms that are out there? Because there are a lot. There's Blogger and there's WordPress. I know that I don't know if people actually use Squarespace for blogging, but I know that it's a self-creation website kind of platform. What was it that you took into consideration and what do you use? To be honest, when I first started and I started, oh, probably 12 years ago, so it was a tad bit different, but I actually, cost was a big issue for me. So I started with Blogger and it was something that was very intuitive and I mean, it's still, it's still a very good platform and it is free. I've actually moved over to WordPress a number of years ago, which I really like a lot. And what I tell people is there are two types of WordPress. There's a what they call WordPress.com, which is the freebie. And that's, that's a great site, not a problem. And then they have the one, which is WordPress.org, which does cost because you have to host it on a service. So the difference is on the free sites, you sort of rent your real estate, more or less, I guess. You're not really, you don't necessarily own that site. You do, but you you don't, they own it. So if they go away, your site goes away. With going through wordpress.org, while I have to pay for hosting, because I have to pay to host, host it somewhere, I don't have to worry about them going away. It's always there. It's always mine. Nothing. They can't do anything. The company can't change what they're doing and then change. It changes my website. So that's what I choose to do. But there are lots of the, you know, the free ones out there are good. I've heard of Squarespace. I'm not I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if people are blogging there. I think the potential is there. I just am not that familiar with that particular platform. It's not one I've used very often. Wix is another one though that is out there. I think that people can do. Um, and I believe that one's free too. That's a good site. I know some people use Wix. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that one as well. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's a good site too. I have a friend who uses that one and, and does just loves it. So for some years now, I use wordpress.org Mm-hmm. And the host that I use is, is a company called Bluehost, and they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. They're open 24-7 for phone calls. They're absolutely fantastic service, and they provide the space, they provide the ground, and then they provide support. And mm-hmm. we're, then I use WordPress there. And What is your URL? I actually use... I use SiteGround, which is where I host mine. So my URL is just lisalisten.com, but mm-hmm. um, I host it, use SiteGround. I used to use HostGator, which is another good platform out there. They're actually owned by Bluehost now. But as mine got a bigger and turned into less of a family blog and more of a business, <laughs> I need a little more robustness to it. So I ended up going with SiteGround. Yeah, it's, it's important to kind of do a little shopping around, I think. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people aren't familiar with blogging. They don't understand what the basic function of it is. Maybe because, as I say, we're kind of backtracking. I got us a little bit ahead of where we needed to be. Mm -hmm. You could explain, when you sit down to write a blog post, Mm -hmm. what is it that you're doing and thinking about and how are you putting it out there? So in the terms of that, what I'm thinking, if I'm writing for just for family type things, typically it is 
pretty much like writing a word document. So I just write and I, you know, I come up with my topic that I'm going to write. I come up with the topic. I can write it quite easily. And then I schedule it to go out. It's really that simple. You can insert photographs quite easily in there. All of these programs I have, like I said, I've used Blogger, I've used WordPress, and I've actually used Wix a little bit. I've played around with it just to try it out. Very intuitive. It's just kind of like you're just sitting down and writing. What I tell people though is don't get hung up on writing like you're writing for an English paper. Okay. And I think that scares people away. This is, I always say, so my English teachers are probably just just die and that here I am writing because I never considered myself a good writer. I didn't like to write because I always was writing to somebody else, but I write like I talk. That's mm-hmm. just my style. You will notice if you go onto my website, sometimes they're not always full sentences. It's okay. It's my side. <laughs> so I tell people it's okay. Write in your voice and that's okay. I write with a Southern accent. So I tell people, but, um, but that's, and that's okay. Absolutely. So it's, it's really be comfortable with it and know that it's yours and it doesn't have to be perfect. Better published than perfect because if you wait till you make that a perfect post and you've got everything and you found every bit of information on that ancestor you're trying to write about, it's never going to get written and it's never going to get published for other people to see and benefit from. So please don't get hung up on it being absolutely perfect because mine is not. I will tell you that right up front. I remember being told more than once that the perfect is the enemy of the good. And the reason that I used to get told that a lot is because I would sort of defer getting stuff done for school assignments to the point that I was a little bit obsessive. And the reason for that was that I was worried about it being perfect. And what I've learned in adulthood is yeah, whatever. You can always go back and revise. I mean, the great thing about a blog is it's a living being. The end of 2019, I said, okay, so not knowing that COVID was coming. 2020 is going to be all about a blog post every month about my enslaving ancestors with identifying information about location and dates and how many people they enslaved, and graphics of the various slave schedules and census records, so that people could, and if there were wills or anything like that, property transfers, anything like that, whatever could go out there, because I wanted to be able to place not only cousin bait, but bait for black researchers who I might not be related to, but who were looking for my ancestors, because my ancestors enslaved their ancestors. So it's May, And I've written one of those so far (laughs) because, as I say, things changed kind of radically and my focus has changed a lot this year. But I found that a difficult post to write because I was fighting with the best versus good. And I was trying to make sure that I had absolutely all of the information from legal documents and stuff like that in this post. And it was not pretty. It was not a pretty process. (laughs) And this was just writing about one couple. So I I know that that's definitely a problem that a lot of people face. I think that the fact that you accept yourself and your writing is a really good thing. How often do you post? I typically post two brand new posts a month. I'm actually in the process of revising some. And so I I will oftentimes go back and polish things up and, and repost some older content that is actually, you know, still quite relevant, but maybe I've learned new things. It it really lends just exactly what you said. 
you can always go back if you get new information and add new information to something. But typically I do two, two brand new posts a month. And then I also post twice a week over on my YouTube channels. It sounds like you're really turning out a lot of data, which is great. Where, how do you publish your posts? How do you, okay, so let me explain this to everybody who's listening. Mostly my blog is episodes of the podcast. So it will have written material. If I'm lucky, I've actually written the transcript and I'm reading from it when I'm creating the podcast episode. So when I publish from WordPress, what happens is all of the social media sites that are connected to my WordPress blog receive some form of notice of that post, whether it's LinkedIn receiving the entire blog post so that people can actually click and it'll take them back to my blog and they can read it, or it's Twitter and there will be a link there, but there's also some visual of some sort, usually the photograph that I selected as as the kind of header photograph, or my Facebook fan page, same thing. There's a link and, and it will show whatever the main photograph is that I selected because I always select a graphic. Where do you publish out to in that same way? How do people know that there's a new post? Oh, okay. So that's a great, that's a, a, an excellent idea. So with WordPress, and to be honest, I'm not sure with the other platforms, but with WordPress, absolutely. We use on there, we can use what they call plugins to mm-hmm. help get the information out to the social media platforms um, because that's important. So people know when you've written another post. And so for me, I absolutely, I, I actually use CoSchedule, which is how I schedule out all of those to, I schedule it to LinkedIn. I schedule it to Twitter. I schedule it to Facebook as well as Instagram, but that one works a little differently. I still have to manually do it, but it reminds me. So I can go to all of those. Um, I have special ones that I use for Pinterest as well. So it goes to all those social media places, but I also email people. So every Monday, I always email my email list to notify them that I have a new post out as well. And then I just try to, in that email, I'm trying to let people know what else is going on in my genealogy world. So that's a way to do it. And you can actually, but it's very easy to set those up. They're free plugins to do that with. They're free ways to do that on whatever platform you choose when you're writing. If it's just a family history blog that you're just trying to get to your family members, you can email it or you can just get it out to your website. It's really, once you set it up, it's easy to go for. That's really great. And what other things do you think are important that people need to know about blogging about those kinds of resources that are available and about getting the word out about their own research? Mm -hmm. I think one of the best things to do when it comes to, if you're struggling with the whole process of setting up a blog, just if if you're just getting started, YouTube is a fabulous place to go. (laughs) You get, I am, I literally YouTubed my entire setup on my blog years ago. And now, even now, if I have to change something, I will find a YouTube video because there's one out there. Trust me. So use the YouTube videos, allow yourself the learning curve. So don't expect to get it right the first time around, as we talked about earlier. So those because there is a learning curve with mechanics, but you just take it one step at a time and you'll be okay with that type of thing. So um, that's kind of what I would recommend when it comes to starting that blog and just honest guys, jump in. I will never forget having set up my first blog. I, I did it on Blogger 
do you know how scared I was to hit the publish? I was so <laughs> scared to make this thing go live. I actually, I don't know whether I thought that the world was going to stop spinning or what, but I hit publish. The computer didn't blow up. Nothing happened. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was just like, okay, I don't know what I expected. I, I thought, Anyway, so just take that first step and go for it. I know when I did, my children at the time were still younger, elementary school, maybe middle school. And I said I had started a blog and they're like, you did what? They were, I got some really cool mom points because I was online. So (laughs) if nothing else, you want to impress your kids or your grandkids, get a blog, get your own website on a blog and you're good. (laughs) That is fantastic. I love that mom points. Never would have thought of that. Of course, I only have cats and they really don't care what it is. They just want to walk across the keyboard. So I have a totally separate issue. Tell me about blogs that you are aware of that you enjoy. Blogs that I enjoy. Oh, gosh. I really enjoy. I have a real eclectic type of blogs that I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading Lisa Louise Cook's Genealogy Gems page Mm -hmm. because she does have a blog there. I love to look at that. I really like to read the blog posts and the blogs on things like Find My Past, My Heritage, Ancestry. I like to read their blog posts. I don't know that people necessarily do that very often, Mm -hmm. but the reason I do is because they really tell me what's going on within their databases because these are databases as a professional genealogist I use all the time. But, you know, it keeps me up to date on what's happening. It also is a great way if I'm coming across a new piece of research, maybe I need to research. I've got a female ancestor in England that I'm struggling trying to find. Well, I don't do a lot of English research. So I'm going to go to that blog and I'm going to learn how to research the women in England before I get into the databases so that I can maybe you know, I can learn more and how and go at it in a smarter way and be more successful with that. So I really enjoy reading those blogs as well. Family of History Fanatics, Devin writes a wonderful blog, especially if you're interested in learning to write your family history as far as like books. And it also translates into the blogs as well. She does some really great articles on writing and writing about genealogy. And then I spend most of my time writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Writing, researching, researching to write, those kinds, of, <laughs> those kinds of things. Is there anything else that you think that we should know that I haven't asked you about? I think go have fun with it. I want you to have fun with it. That's the biggest thing that I would recommend is if it's something that you want to do, just give yourself the time and the space and enjoy it. Because ultimately, again, as I mentioned earlier, if we don't share the stories of our ancestors, those stories may not get told. And that would be, to me, that's a tragedy to not be able to share the stories when we've researched them. And we know these ancestors so well in many cases, but I hate for that to get lost through the future generations. Absolutely. I agree with you. I could not agree with you more. There's certainly enough that we can learn from the past and carry that into our present lives and carry it down into the future. And those are things that need to be commemorated and need to be put out so that everyone can find them and share them. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Lisa. And tell us every place we can find you. Oh, gosh, <laughs> lots of places. Um, so you can find the best way really to find me is on my website, which is just lisalisson.com, L-I-S-A-L-I-S-S-O-N. 
And on Facebook, I'm at Are You My Cousin. On Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Are You My Cousin. And Are You My Cousin on YouTube as well. So that's pretty much where you can find me. If you, It's either Are You My Cousin or if you type in Lisa Listen, you're good to go. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Have a great, great day, Lisa. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope Lisa's sage advice helps those of you who have blogs and that those of you who don't have blogs join in the ranks. We can all use our skills better to publish our findings, thereby assisting others who are seeking ancestors and current living family. I want to hear about your research, a book you've written, or your family recipes. Contact me at ancestorsalivegenealogy.com if you'd like to be on the podcast. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. And if you're a podcaster too, let's exchange introductions. That's really kind of fun, and it's a great way to get heard by a new audience. In the meantime, remember, keep doing your work. Don't be a Jeffrey. Get that blog up and running, and above all, expect surprises.